Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Hello, and welcome to the Indie Cider podcast, where I play indie games and then interview the developer. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. On today's episode for Wednesday, April 19th, 2017, I'm playing Kona, K-O-N-A, developed by Parable and provided to me for the purpose of this interview. Kona is a first-person perspective adventure exploration game. Some people might call it a walking simulator. If you've played games like Gone Home or Firewatch, then you may be familiar with what kind of game Kona is. It's set in the early 1970s in the cold northern region of Canada. You play a private detective who's been hired to investigate some bizarre occurrences in a small town. Just as you arrive, a blizzard hits, leaving the town mostly deserted. It's your job to figure out what the heck has happened here. You do so by exploring the environment, collecting inventory and objects you need to solve puzzles, and hopping in your car and driving around the map. That's right, you actually have a vehicle in this game, so unlike in Firewatch, you don't need to hoof it everywhere. It is possible to die, for example, if you stay outside in the cold for too long, but other than that, it's a pretty low-risk game. You're generally not being attacked by grizzly bears or having to pump your boomstick and stay alive. I first saw this game at PAX East 2016, and the game finally released in February of 2017. Although one of the things that first drew me to it was its similarity to Firewatch, which back in 2016 had just come out and I was a big fan of, the game was well in development before Firewatch was ever released, so there is no direct influence. In fact, there are some very noticeable differences, such as the ability to manage your inventory, and also the presence of a third-person narrator. Unlike in Firewatch, where you hear your main character talking to another person, and that's how the story plays out, in Kona you hear an omniscient narrator describing the actions and activities that are happening on screen. The only time you see or hear your own character's thoughts are when he sees something in the environment that he finds intriguing, and his thoughts are projected as text onto the environment. I don't mean a speech balloon or a text bubble. I mean it's actually laid over the environment, so it matches the angle and lighting, for example, almost like an in-game artifact. In this episode, I'll be speaking with the community manager for Developer Parable, that being Jean-Francois Fisset, or Jeff for short. You can hear the audio of that interview momentarily in this show, or you can hear it paired with gameplay footage of Kona if you want to see the game that we're talking about while listening to the interview on my blog at indiesider.net slash Kona, K-O-N-A. The game is available for Steam and good old games for Mac, Windows, and Linux, and also for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It is about $20 on each of those platforms. There have been a lot of great indie games released lately, including Cosmic Star Heroine, River City Ransom, and Thimbleweed Park. I'm honored to include Kona in that batch of recently released anticipated games with over 500 positive reviews on Steam. It's only about a six-hour game, and even though it's that short, I have not yet finished it on my Mac. I'm looking forward to playing it some more after this interview. Whether or not you get the chance to play it, I hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks for listening. Joining me today is the community manager for Parable, Jean-Francois Fisset. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you, Ken? Wonderful. Thank you. How's the weather up in, is it Quebec? Uh, yeah, uh, right now it's uh, pretty much okay. It's a little cold, but uh, it's, go- it's getting warmer than uh, this winter. Because after playing Kona, I have to assume that is just a completely frozen tundra. Is that not correct? <laughs> uh, sometimes it is, but it's not as bad as it looks. It's like some days it's going to be really cold, but some other days it's only snow, but you can manage. So it's not uh, that big a deal. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> 
I love how Kona draws upon your own territory, your own environment, places that you're familiar with. Is Kona based in real places? Are these places that I can go visit? The village itself is fictional, but uh, it's set like 60 miles north of a real town called Shibugemo. Uh, so we were inspired by uh, what we saw uh, in our lives, uh, the places we visited. Uh, so basically, it's fictional, but it's kind of true at the same time. Did you have to do any field research, like going out into places in Canada and saying, oh, I love this cabin, I love this truck, this road, let's make this part of the game? Uh, not really. Uh, most of it was uh, inter internet search, uh, search uh, to be able to uh, be historically uh, accurate. But uh, for most parts, it was like uh, our parents lived in the 70s. So uh, we would ask them for some stuff if we ever need uh, any confirmation uh, and stuff like that. So as for the field search, uh, basically, we live this kind of winter. So uh, it's based on our own uh, experience. Yeah, that's true. This game is set in the 70s. And it seems like that's before many people at Parable were even born. Is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think the the more uh, the oldest one is uh, from from the eighties. So yeah, it's before us. <laughs> Why would you choose to set a game in an era that none of you have any firsthand experience with? Uh, basically, uh, because uh, in history, uh, Quebec uh, in Quebec in nineteen seventy, it was a really uh, important part of our history. It was like. Uh, when the religion took less place than before and people were more, uh, uh, they could tell their idea uh, with, without uh, being censured and stuff like that. And also uh, it was, there was um, this separatism. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that. No, that doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so uh, basically uh, that's when the movement uh, kind of began, uh, when Quebec as a province uh, would want to become its own country. Uh, so that's basically the time when it began. Uh, so we assumed that it was best if we wanted to tell a little bit of our story in a game to go for an era that was really important for uh, all Quebecers. When you were choosing the era, did it have anything to do with the technology of that era? Because it seems like Firewatch, Kona, Agatha Christie Mysteries, they all are set before the invention of the cell phone and the public access to the internet. It seems like these kinds of stories would change a lot if you could just pull out your iPhone and look stuff up. I would lie to if I told you that it wasn't true, because uh, it's it's really, uh, I think it's it's in the game, you want to be in a place that is different than real life, uh, at least in my opinion. So uh, the fact that you don't have a cell phone to help you makes the game a little bit more difficult and you have to figure out stuff uh, in the game that you wouldn't have to figure out in real life because you have all the stuff to help you. So it kind of, hel it kind of helps you to think outside the box. And I think it's, it's really important uh, in a game. Uh, not that uh, game with cell phones are not good, but in our kind of games, if we want people to focus on the story, uh, I think it's important to uh, make them really be in the game. It sounds like the game has evolved a lot, not necessarily in its setting, but in its purpose. Do I understand correctly that Kona was originally intended as a snowmobile simulator? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, basically, the what we uh, began with was a whole huge map with little uh, gaps and a snowmobile, and uh, we thought it was it was awesome because it's not the kind of game you see every day. So we also wanted to have a story rich game. So we asked one of our friends with a writer to help us come up with uh, a setting with a uh, with a, a good story that could revolve around this and as as the game development get, went further uh, then we the snowmobile take a, took a lot a little less space and uh, the story took more so yeah uh, you're correct uh, it began as a <laughs> snowmobile simulator so the game became something much different, but also much larger than you expected, and an early version of the game was going to be episodic. Is the final game episodic? Are there going to be more Konas? Uh, we're expecting to... Uh, we're planning on making four games set in the same universe, uh, but they are all standalone titles. Uh, what I mean by that is it's not uh, episodic anymore. Uh, there are the continuity is not guaranteed either, so uh, we have the liberty of uh, going in the same setting um, as for the place. But uh, if we want to make the game in the 90s or in the 60s, uh, we will feel free to do it because we have different stories to tell. There will be some links between them, of course, but uh, they are not Kona 1, Kona 2, Kona 3 and Kona 4. It's going to be uh, four standalone and unique games with all their own game mechanics, uh, game designs, and uh, stuff like that. The episodic format, though, seems to be very popular and working very well for games like Life is Strange and anything from Telltale, of course. Why did you choose not to go with that format? Because uh, it, it's more because the game became a lot bigger, and then uh, we saw how uh, people didn't, uh, really like that format that much. Yes, they will buy games like Life is Strange, but for an adventure game, we felt it was more important to go for a standalone than an adventure because it makes us make uh, be able to make a longer game. I, I don't know if my explanation is good, but uh, that's pretty much what I think. And the game that just came out, it's about six hours long? Uh, yeah, uh, we estimate between three to six hours to complete, depending on your play style. Uh, of course, there are many ways to play a lot more. For uh, for instance, uh, to unlock achievements, uh, to explore every area once or twice and stuff like that. So yeah, basically six hours is uh, pretty accurate. accurate. Now, another thing that changed while Kona was in development, which has been for the last couple of years was the release of Firewatch, which was a very successful indie game. I was very happy to have played a complete Let's Play on my YouTube channel, and I've, I think about the game a lot. In what ways did that game's release and success influence Kona, if at all? Uh, it didn't really... Uh, yeah, it influenced us in a way, like uh, when there was some uncertainty about how, if, if we would be successful or not, uh, seeing a game uh, like Firewatch, uh, which is in, an, in some ways similar to ours, uh, go out and have that much success, uh, kind of confirmed that there was still a lot of players that enjoy this kind of game. 
and uh, I'm uh, I'm talking about walking simulators, of course. Uh, so the fact that Firewatch and our games are walking simulators, but with a little more gameplay to them, uh, it's, it helped us have more confident confidence about uh, when we would release the game, if it would be successful or not. And uh, obviously, we don't have the same success as Firewatch, but it's pretty uh, it's still pretty successful. Because I couldn't help but wonder at the very first point in the game where I get out of the truck to find the bolt cutters and they're at the top of a Firewatch tower. I <laughs> wonder if that was some sort of a, a nod at that other game. Uh, no, not really. Uh, the tower was already in the game uh, before uh, Firewatch uh, came out. So it's pretty much a coincidence. I would lie if we... If I was to say that we didn't have any inspiration from Firewatch, but still we had a lot of inspiration for a lot of other games too. So, yeah. Sure, of course. Now you use the term walking simulator to describe Kona, and some people use that term negatively or condescendingly. I assume that's not how you're using it since you're describing your own game. Exactly, because uh, I think that every uh, genre in, uh, in game, as long as... Uh, developers stay creative. Um, every genre is evolving. So uh, what I mean by that is a walking simulator is not anymore. You're not a floating camera anymore. Uh, you are in the center of a story, but you have more and more stuff to do. So it's more a walking simulator is becoming more and more like uh, games for uh, like Zelda, for instance. Uh, it's not at this point yet, but uh, I'm, I believe that walking simulator uh, is used in negative way, but shouldn't because it's uh, really interesting. And uh, the more creative we become, uh, the more stuff uh, players will be able to enjoy in the walking simulator game. What are some of the other ways that you feel Kona is innovating or pushing forward that walking simulator genre to really make it into something new? Probably in in a gameplay mechanic kind of way because uh, when we think about a walking simulator, uh, some games come to mind like Dear Hester and uh, Gone Home and uh, games like that. In those, you were basically living the story and uh, clicking on things, uh, interacting with things to know more and stuff like that. But in Kona, you have that, but you also have encounters. Uh, you have a bit of puzzles to solve uh, and stuff like that. So I believe that it's, it's going further in the walking simulator genre, and uh, I believe it's a really good thing. Excellent. So if I understand correctly, you came onto the Kona team about one year into its development. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And what is it like to come in basically mid-story where they're already, they've already laid the groundwork, they've already made some very foundational decisions. What was it like to already have that trajectory and come in mid-mission? Uh, it was a, a bit, um, a little challenging at first, but then um, the founder of the company is actually my brother. So uh, I always followed uh, the steps uh, during development. Of course, I was not in the team at the time, so it's not the same thing, uh, but I was still kind of there. So when I, when I arrived, uh, it was easier than if I were someone from the outside uh, entirely. Uh, so it was challenging to, um, to to know what I could tell the community and what I couldn't, 
but as as soon as I uh, when I was like two three months in, then everything was fine and uh, uh, the team uh, was very uh, very happy. I was wondering about that. So there is a relation there. Alexander is your brother. Uh, yes. And have you two worked t- together before? Uh, no, that's the first time. And uh, actually, uh, when he hired me, I, I told him I didn't want him to hire me because he, uh, I was his brother. Uh, I wanted him to hire me because I was good. And uh, that was clearer uh, from day one. Yeah. Of course. I mean, that's the only reason anybody should ever be hired. And I applaud yeah. <laughs> saying up for that. But yeah. I, I still have to ask, what is yep. it like? I have three older brothers myself, and I can't imagine working with any of them. <laughs> I mean, what is that like? I mean, do you just get on each other's nerves all day? Uh, no, not really. Uh, me and my brother are like, uh, we have 18 months of difference uh, as of our age. Uh, we have the same friends, uh, and we always uh, been close. So it's. It's kind of easier this way. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know if 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 I were to have a brother, why couldn't stand uh, being with uh, for a long period of time? I probably wouldn't even be at Parable. But uh, we have a really good relationship. Oh, I'm so relieved to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your your the role you were hired to do was community manager. Did you have a say in any of the development? Uh, yeah, when we uh, make some brainstorm, uh, I'm very welcome to uh, give my input to uh, comment on other other people's ideas. Uh, so yeah, I am able to uh, to give a, a little thoughts. Uh, of course, they are not all uh, <laughs> in the game, but uh, that's part of the job. Yeah. Of course, uh, something like. Kona is a team effort and everybody shares the credit but I I have to ask is is there anything you can point to in the game and say I did that or that is because of me I could say uh, some small stuff I uh, participated uh, like uh, correcting typos in texts especially in French because French is my first language the the th- the Carl's thoughts that you see on screen I wasn't the guy who uh, wrote them, but I was the guy who placed them at uh, where they are. So I didn't really uh, participate uh, in the development that much, but uh, as as soon as I could do it, uh, I was uh, more than glad to help. You mentioned French being your first language, and that, of course, is very common in that part of Canada. D- does Kona offer French voice acting? Uh, yeah, actually, the the original version of Kona is in French. Uh, so it's Guy Nadon, the narrator uh, in French. Uh, all the uh, if you're able to play the game with French voices and English subtitles, I would suggest you do it. Uh, of course, it's not for everyone. Uh, for instance, uh, when I when I listen to something, when I watch a movie, and I see the subtitles in another language than the one they are actually talking, I'm just I just can't do it. So <laughs> it's up to each player. But yeah, the French is the, the original language. Wow, I didn't realize that because voice acting for many games is one of the most expensive parts of the game that can ostensibly be done without. So usually, when there are cost-cutting measures voice acting is one of the first things to go. So for you to have voice acting in two languages, more than one language, is really quite impressive. Yeah, uh, the, the fact is uh, we had a pretty uh, big uh, 
good deal for English voices. And that's the, the voices we went for first, uh, because uh, if we want to sell our game internationally, uh, it makes more sense to make it in English first. But all the text were in French. So then we contacted uh, several people that could do the voices in French also. So, yeah, the, the cost is uh, a little, it's not cheap, but it's uh, worth it in the end. I noticed that the narration seems to be done by an omniscient narrator. If it's somebody that's in the game, I haven't gotten far enough to meet that person yet. This is as opposed to other games where it's the protagonist, the main character who's narrating, and you get to hear their thoughts and their words. Can you tell me a little bit about the decision to have a third person be the narrator instead of the protagonist? Uh, yeah, uh, there were. Uh, the first reason was to uh, we wanted to tell the story like you would tell it, uh, tell it uh, near a fire, for instance, uh, at camp. Uh, the second reason is an omniscient narrator knows more about the environment, about the area, about the era uh, than the the the, the protagonist itself himself. So we figured it would make more sense if you were to, for instance, give a hint about something to do next, uh, that it wouldn't come from the protagonist himself because he would be just superhuman. So uh, we figured it would be best to go for an omniscient uh, narrator this way because he's kind of a godlike uh, persona and we feel it makes more sense uh, when you're telling a story. Sure, I can see that. Let's go back to talking about your job for a little bit. So although you did participate in the development and creative process, your main title is community manager, which is a title I usually think of when thinking about competitive games like first-person shooters or MMOs or the like, where people are actually interacting and competing with each other online, whereas Kona is more of a solitary experience. What does it mean to be a community manager around a game like Kona? Uh, it means, uh, for instance, uh, I manage the Facebook and Twitter pages, but I'll, I also am the, the guy, the developer who answers everyone uh, in the forums. So whenever a, a player uh, comes, uh, encounters a bug or has a question about uh, whether he should do this or that, uh, if it's uh, in the story, I prefer not to answer. But if it's a bug, I, I want to make sure that this player knows that we we read his comment and that we're working on fixing things. Uh, so we feel it's even more important this way because, yes, you want to be alone in the game. But when the game doesn't want you to play, it's not uh, it's not good. So you don't want to be alone if you're stuck in a bug, for instance. So we feel it's really important to communicate with our community. Yeah, it is It is extremely important to communicate with your fans and your gamers, regardless of your genre. But how do you go about building that community in the first place? Like, do, do you, I mean, once you are on Twitter and on Facebook, how do you get people to follow you or even find out about your game? Uh, this one, I must uh, give the credit to uh, my brother. Uh, when the uh, Kona, I don't know if you uh, knew that, but it was a, a kick, uh, we had a Kickstarter campaign in uh, 2014. And uh, that's when we began to build the community. And I wasn't there at the, at the time. So uh, basically, we built the community during the Kickstarter uh, campaign. And then 
we we assume it's mostly people telling their friends and stuff like that. And uh, as long um, as soon as we uh, made some press releases and stuff like that, people would know about Kona more. They would like our pages and stuff. And the fact that we interact with uh, everyone is also a, lo- a lot more helpful than it, than it looks. Uh, because when a friend tells about the game and he tells uh, the community manager uh, speaks to us if uh, if I were if I interact with them uh, I will be answered. So if you have a bug, if your computer is slow or stuff like that, you can ask and you will actually get answered. So it's a lot of a lot of factors uh, help build a community. And I think uh, yeah, the, most of the credit goes to my brother because the the, the building of the the first community came from him. That's true. The Kona Kickstarter ran in August of 2014. It raised $44,000 Canadian. And I see that one of the reward levels, this is back when the game was thought to be episodic, was that the first episode would come out of in April 2015. Uh, obviously, the full game came out almost two years later. Speaking of the community you developed around that Kickstarter, were any of them upset that the game got postponed by two years? Uh, some of them, but it, was, it wasn't really that big of a deal because uh, that's where uh, the community management comes into place. Uh, if you have a delay uh, on a delivery or something like that, but you keep your people informed and you keep answering them, uh, that's, where, that's when the, the rage can become more of an understanding, like, there were many factors that uh, obviously caused these delays, but if you're upfront with your community, uh, most people will understand and they will not. They know they will get what they paid for eventually. So they don't. They care, but they don't really care that much about the delay. They will uh, stay with us, stay with you, as long as you stay with them. I think that is very important: is transparency and constant communication, because if for even one moment, you don't let people know what's going on. If you leave them wondering what you are doing with their money, that is a very easy way to get people to turn on you. So if you are just completely honest and upfront with them, you'll often find that any, as you said, any rage is subsided because they know that you are reliable and trustworthy. Yeah, exactly. And even even if they, they are frustrated about the situation, you have to... To, to put your, yourself in their place, like in their shoes, uh, for instance, I would. Uh, it's true. I'm. I wouldn't be a community manager if I if it wasn't true because I am a gamer. So when I pay for something, I expect something in return. Uh, so that's the same for our community. So I understand the way they think, but also I'm able to give them our. Uh, our side of the story and that's where uh, the frustration sometimes becomes more of an understanding of the situation for both parties well i would i would hope that they were okay with the two-year wait because some games are worth waiting for and i think kona is as well how do you feel about how the game's been received in its first two months uh right now now uh, we feel uh, really good about it uh, on steam uh, we have like uh, i think it's 90 percent right now of uh, approval rate 
uh, 92% if we count the Steam activation from uh, Humble Store or Steam, uh, our Kickstarter campaigns that didn't buy it on Steam because they already paid for the game and stuff like that. So yeah, it was really well received. And on the game is available for Xbox One and PS4 as well. And are you able to get any feedback on those since they don't really have as much of a community as Steam does? Uh, I get... I get I think I went to uh, check on Xbox like uh, the beginning of this week and uh, it, we have a really uh, good rating uh, on PS4. I'm not sure. I think it's like four near four stars out of five. So, uh, yeah, pretty much um, it's pretty much well received from uh, every platform. Yeah. Excellent. Well, congratulations. It's not every game that does that. Even if it is Kickstarter, not all games live up to their expectations. It sounds like. Kona has exceeded them, so well done. Yeah, thank you. Can you remind our listeners where to find Kona online? Uh, yeah, uh, Kona is available on uh, Steam on uh, Good Old Games, uh, GOG.com. Uh, you can also buy it uh, through Humble Store. Uh, and there are several uh, websites, uh, like uh, I think it's Game Rockets. Uh, they are more popular in Europe. So basically, if you want to buy it directly on the store, it's, it would be Steam and good old games, and also PS4, Xbox One. And if we want to find Parable or yourself on social media, where would that be? Uh, it's at Parable, P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E, uh, on Facebook, Twitter. And for the game itself, it's at Kona Game, K-O-N-A-G-A-M-E, both on uh, Facebook and Twitter, too. Uh, myself is uh, Jean-Francois Fizet, but I manage both pages. So if you have a message directly for me, Jeff, uh, just uh, write uh, this message is intended to Jeff, and I will read it and answer as soon as possible. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for the interview. This has been Indie Cider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.